The third quarter brings record Comcast video sub losses and a 40% price increase could do the same for Apple TV+. YouTube revenue disappoints while Disney dreams of theme park and Disney Plus convergence. Listen on for more. This week's edition of Inside Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media joins me. Hey, Colin, how is everything? It's great, Will, and we are we've got plenty of stories to talk about this week. So we're not going to do our big story. We're going to do our good old round the horn. We've got four stories that we want to talk about this week, and you're going to get us started with a story that was just released just before we're recording. We're recording here on Thursday around about lunchtime Pacific, and Comcast has just announced its numbers, and there were some very interesting results there, weren't there, Will? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So Comcast re- uh, released its Q3 22 earnings today. We're recording on Thursday. And um, as has been the case for the last several years, a lot of attention is focused on how the broadband business is going because that's obviously been the core driver of uh, both revenue and profitability for the company now for some time. So, uh, Q and they had actually lost broadband subscribers in Q2. So, um, so seeing whether they were able to reverse that was was critical, and they were indeed. So they, for the quarter, they added about 14,000 broadband customers, of which um, 10 was in residential, the rest in business services. So just to put that number in context, adding 10,000 in Q3 of 22, that compares to adding uh, 281,000 a year ago in Q3 of 21. So obviously a pretty big um, decline. And uh, when you look at year to date, so for the nine month period, they've added 253,000 broadband subscribers, residential broadband subscribers. Uh, as compared with almost 1.1 million residential broadband subscribers a year ago for the first three months. So we're clearly seeing a slowdown in um, broadband. And in the earnings call, the follow-up earnings call, they um, pretty much acknowledged that they did not see unit growth in broadband uh, being a key driver going forward, but rather it was probably going to be pricing and other services. So. Um, so, you know, from that standpoint, I would say uh, broadband, you know, we all knew that there was going to be some saturation in the market coming at some point. There's been increased competition from fiber and Comcast has acknowledged that in the past. There's also fixed wireless, which is just kind of starting to gear up in the market. So uh, kind of some different dynamics as we go forward on the broadband side. And then when we look on the video side to try to get a sense of how much cord cutting or cord nevering for that matter is impacting the company in q3 of 22 they lost a total of 540,000 residential video subscribers that's up from a loss of 382,000 video subscribers lost in q3 of 21 and then if you look at the nine month period from january through september in 22 they've lost a total of just over 1.5 million in uh, 22, and that compares with about 1.1 million, 1.2 million in the first nine months of 21. So we've seen an acceleration in Q3. We've been seeing acceleration in the nine month period versus uh, last year. 
and um, you know, in some sense, both of those are ongoing uh, sort of continuations of trends that we've seen in the past. They certainly are, Will, and this is a pretty. They seem to be heading towards a pretty big loss. Maybe two million more paying video subscribers are going to walk out the door by the end of this year, and that's a big loss. We're talking there. What they've got seventeen million now. So that's well over 10%. That's like a 12% loss in video subscribers in just one year. That's a pretty remarkable decline. And interestingly, um, I saw some, some new data from a company called Attest, which is a British survey company. Uh, they actually provided some input on the usage of virtual MVPDs. Those, these are the, you know, folks like YouTube TV and Sling TV. And the interesting thing there is that they're showing a big increase over the last year in daily users of those services. Um, so, you know, like doubling the number of daily users in the last year, which is pretty remarkable. And I guess that what that shows you is that people are leaving their cable behind and either signing up with a full full service like YouTube TV to keep watching traditional cable in the way they have or Sling TV where Sling's you know Sling's primarily bringing you the cable channels so they're bringing they're doing that to watch a few of the cable channels that they liked and really moving to streaming for the rest of the viewing so boy it really looks like things are accelerating doesn't it that's really a 10 to 12 percent maybe 13 percent loss in one year is a big loss in video subscribers for the company for comcast yeah and i think to be fair i know we've talked about this in past podcasts but comcast and other uh, cable providers have been pretty disciplined in terms of how they're uh, looking at retention of subscribers so you know, in the past, and the not so recent past, if you call to complain that your rate had gone up, they might be willing to cut you some sort of a deal to keep you on. They've been more disciplined about not doing that. And um, I think that sort of flows through to the numbers as well. And the same actually goes on the broadband side. There's, as we see more competition in the market, there's more uh, probability that a customer is going to call in and shop offers and things like that and i think they've been relatively disciplined in that uh, in those retention efforts also and, and actually that leads to one uh, real bright spot in the comcast report which is a little bit out of our scope but um is that they've been ramping up their mobile service uh, over the past probably five years or so and actually had their best quarter in q3 they added 330,000 wireless mobile lines and are now at about 5 million. So there's still a fraction of what the big players are, the Verizons, the AT&T, T-Mobile. They're still at a fraction, but they have been clever about how they've priced the wireless service. If you're a broadband subscriber, they've been able to be very aggressive on the pricing side um, for broadband. That obviously leads to broadband retention, makes the mobile service more attractive, and so on. So, uh, you know, it's another... In the old days, we talked about triple play, right, which was um, video voice being landline and broadband. I think now that concept of triple play has uh, gone out and they're, if anything, looking at how the double play, so to speak, of 
wireless and broadband uh, can become their core package. Yeah, and uh, quick up, did, did they give us an update on Peacock? Yeah, they said Peacock, they sort of pre-announced this a couple of weeks ago, but they said Peacock is up to um, 15 million paid subscribers now, about another 15 million. Uh, that's up a couple million during the quarter, another 14 or 15 million free or uh, you know, free free users of Peacock, including those that get access to it as a result of being broadband or video subscribers. And the there were a number of questions actually about Peacock on the um, earnings call. And uh, just an interesting quote, I think, from Jeff Shell, who's the CEO of NBCU. He said in, th in responding about where he wants Peacock to be long term, he said, quote, we want to get Peacock to a scale where we're fairly indifferent between content going on linear and content going on Peacock and having the best platform out there. We think we're well on the way to, to that. So, um, you know, that's pretty direct messaging about how they see Peacock in the future, that it's going to be every bit as valuable to them as what linear service has been. Yeah, and sounds to me like a pragmatic response, right? Well, looking at their <laughs> looking at their video numbers, uh, it's pretty pretty clear that uh, that yeah. they see the future is now online as well. And just just a quick a quick note: there was a, <laughs> there was a big write down on Sky, wasn't there as well? They purchased yeah, Sky they also, a couple of years ago. Exactly. I think it was. It's been four years, approximately four years, since they bought Sky, and they took an eight point six billion dollar write down on Sky. I think that acquisition was about forty billion, and they pointed to different sort of macroeconomic headwinds in Europe and some other factors. But um, yeah, it seems like I haven't looked that closely at how what Sky's performance is, but it seems like it's maybe not lived up to all of the expectations. No, 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 indeed. So, okay, so that's great. So maybe we should move on to our next topic, which is going to be Apple TV. And, well, <laughs> I'm sure our users, uh, our listeners will probably caught the fact that Apple was increasing the price of Apple TV Plus. And it's a big increase. Now, they haven't increased prices since the since the service was introduced in November of 2019. It was introduced at $4.99. And of course, there are a whole lot of free offers during that during that time as well. So many, many people were used were had access to it that weren't actually paying. Well, now they seem to feel like they've added enough value that they can bump the price 40%, which is a pretty big increase. That's a $2 increase to $6.99. That brings it to same price as Disney Plus. Um, and uh, actually, I think that's the same price as the entry level for Netflix's ad-supported tier, which is going to be introduced on November the 3rd. So it's that's, that's sort of bringing it into that territory. Uh, Apple seems to think it's added enough value. A spokesperson said we introduced Apple TV Plus at a very low price because we started with just a few shows and movies. Three years later, Apple TV Plus is home to an extensive selection of award-winning and broadly acclaimed series, feature films, documentaries, and kids and family entertainment from the world's most creative storytellers. So they clearly think that they have something here that's extremely valuable to people. And, uh, you know, to, to 
give them props. They have produced some award-winning series and some very, very popular series, including Ted Lasso and Coda and Severance and a couple of others in there as well that were really pretty popular. But I tell you what, Will, this this forty percent increase to seven ninety nine, uh, excuse me, six ninety nine, is definitely going to get the attention. I think of some of their subscribers. Um, for me, at least, four ninety nine is not quite in the noise level, but it's the amount I use Apple TV Plus probably justifies five five bucks a month. Seven bucks a month makes it makes me think a little harder about that, and I think that's probably what's going to happen with a lot of people here. I think the biggest the biggest change over the last year for Apple uh, with, with this service is the introduction of premium sports. So of course they've, they've brought uh, Major League, uh, excuse me, they've brought the Friday double header for Major League Baseball, which I think has been very popular. They, uh, we, as we discussed on the podcast, They've just signed up as the exclusive provider for Major League Soccer in streaming, and that's a worldwide deal, and it's worth a billion dollars. So that's that's also pretty expensive. And they're also widely rumored to be bidding on NFL Sunday Ticket. This is currently owned by DirecTV. DirecTV has indicated that they don't they don't want to do that anymore. Um, you can bet that this is going to be expensive as well. DirecTV was playing $1.5 billion annually for the rights to provide NFL Sunday ticket. Uh, so you can bet that Apple, if they were to land it, will be paying a lot more than that. So that's a big wallop. So I'm wondering if they're, gonna, they're looking to uh, regular subscribers to help recoup some of this cost, Will. That, that certainly seems like a possibility to me. So I don't know, uh, you aren't currently an Apple TV subscriber. Are you Apple TV Plus subscriber? Does this make you even less likely to subscribe? Well, yeah, I guess less likely on the margin. I mean, I wasn't subscribing currently and uh, didn't have any plans to do so. So I suppose this just cements my inclination to not have any plans to do so. Um, But I think, you know, to your point, interesting question is what does it do to current subscribers do they do they align with what apple's belief is which you articulated that there is now enough content three years after launch to warrant a price point that is competitive as you said with disney plus and um you know almost with still a little cheaper than the netflix basic which i think is ten dollars per month right so still a little bit lower than that and that's a hard one. I think they're gonna they're gonna do what's gonna happen to them is what we've seen with all other the other SVOD um, services, which is they'll they'll test what the demand elasticity is and whether people are really so eager to have that Apple TV Plus content that they're willing to pay forty percent more for it. Yeah, and I, I I totally agree. I think there's sort of three things going on here. One is that. I, I don't agree. I, I do. They do have a good library. I do think that they're spending their money very wisely. They're spending about a third of what Netflix is spending to create content. And I think their ratio of hits to spend is probably better than Netflix's. But the problem is that the library just isn't deep enough in the areas where you would expect it to be deep to retain people. So I'll give you a great example. Uh, 
there's a very funny show that I'm enjoying on on there right now called Mythic Quest, and it's all about gamers and massive, you know, um, these um, these online game game worlds that a lot of gamers are participating in. Very funny show, and the the problem is that there is nothing like it on Apple TV Plus. So for the person that comes for that show there's really nothing else on there that they can turn to and i think that's probably true for ted lasso as well sure there are other comedies but not like ted lasso not that type of type of of comedy on the service and so i think that has that that does two things one is if if you um if you come for a big show and by the way cantar says that 43% of signups to Apple TV Plus come for a specific show versus 33% for the average. So a lot of people are coming there for a specific show. The problem for Apple is they still don't have enough similar content that they can hang on to that person when they're finished watching. So they're only going to get a month or two out of them while they're watching that show. So I think that's one thing. The other thing for regular subscribers, people like me, uh, they're probably going to lose me. I'm probably going to cancel and then just come back in when they have something that I want to watch, which is a shame. And the reason they're doing that is there's not I get, there's just not enough library content to keep me coming in there to look to find something to watch that that I might want. They have no comfort food viewing, right? They don't have a Seinfeld or The Office or CSI or something like that. They just don't have that to to warrant me coming in and looking. What they will do is, I think they've guaranteed now that if you're an MLB, MLS, and if they get Sunday Ticket NFL fan, that you are going to come and you are going to stay subscribed. Um, You know, with MLS and with NFL, they're they're following an ESPN model, which is you have to subscribe and then you can then you can pay to get the full package once you once you're subscribed and inside. There'll be some free games in those areas I'm sure so those people will come and subscribe and stay but the question is will that make up for the people that bail because of the price increase and I'm just not sure I think what what this price increase will do is it'll increase churn it'll reduce customer lifetime value Uh, and the question is will the sports fans coming in be enough to compensate for those losses and this is a funny position to be in when you're developing your audience right Absolutely. I think that those are all fair points, Colin. And we do have another couple of stories that we want to cover this week. We're getting a little bit short of time, so I think we're going to probably need to cover Move them on. each in a <laughs> yeah. two, two minutes or less for the, each of the last two stories. But yep. it is earnings week this week, and um, Alphabet, which is the parent of Google and YouTube, also announced its earnings. And uh, just to quickly highlight, YouTube revenue, actually, ad revenue actually fell about 2% to $7.1 billion, And it was another sign. So, you know, 2% is roughly flat. It's no major deal. But YouTube does rely more on the um, on brand advertisers for its revenue than search, which is the most important, obviously, in the in the Google search business. So, uh, slight decline at YouTube, and that comes. I know we've talked about YouTube a number of times on this podcast. 
comes after just absolutely blistering growth that the company had during the pandemic years. It, I think, grew revenue by over 30% per quarter for something like six out of eight quarters during the pandemic period. So the company has become much, much bigger. But this quarter, the slowdown in ad spending, which is been evident in other companies reporting. For instance, Snap had a Snap had a very tough quarter in Q3, and Facebook actually reported. Meta reported a tough quarter also in Q3. So YouTube actually survived pretty well during the quarter, and that's I think testament to just how massive the platform is and how much of a must have it still is for many many advertisers. Yeah, it is. It, it is a surprise, but possibly endemic of. of- what's going on maybe across the whole industry Um, and I also note that they have bumped the price of YouTube premium for families uh, quite a bit I think that's gone up to 20 bucks now 20 bucks a month Um, this is the plan that allows you to share share with your with your family they haven't increased the individual subscription which I think is still ten dollars I'm subscribed to that Uh, actually I find it actually to be one of the most valuable because I don't like watching the ads and it's great to be able to watch YouTube without the ads and really enjoy that content. So, yeah, I think it's endemic of the whole thing. But anyway, in the spirit of keeping on schedule, the last story we wanted to mention was uh, Disney, Disney Plus. Bob Chapek has been out there talking a lot to the media about the future of the company. One of the things that he's very keen to do is to find some way to bring his entertainment side the or rather the digital side together with the physical parks and theaters theater experiences um so he's looking for ways to do that and one of the ways he said um, in August in the Wall Street Journal was that he said he was considering launching a, a membership program somewhat like Amazon Prime. And I think we mentioned that on the podcast before. The other thing he's trying to do here is that he wants to make or turn Disney Plus into a hub for the company, not just a hub for Disney videos, but a hub for the whole company. And the way he envisages doing that is he wants to create park experiences, virtual park experiences that can be delivered through Disney Plus so that he can reach, quote, 90 percent of the people that will never be able to get to a Disney park. He says we want to give people the ability to experience digi- digitally something that's akin to a physical experience that they necessarily can't be at that place in that time so you know this is this is what they're trying to do they're creating this membership program um, and they're going to use that they say they're going to use viewing data your viewing data to customize your visits to the park and now they want to actually give you the park experience through disney plus so these are very ambitious plans certainly turning disney plus into a virtual park well boy that relies on virtual reality and uh, it seems to me like that is still quite a ways away before that will hit the mass market but before he'll really be able to hit the 90 percent of people that don't visit the parks 
Um, and, you know, we've just got some foundational technology problems that have to be overcome before virtual reality and the metaverse really does become available to the mass to the masses and Disney can deliver. So but still, it's I guess it's great to dream big. Right. Well, yeah, I was going to say my reaction to the way you've characterized it is that it's very aspirational on his part, yeah. <laughs> but not likely to be achieved anytime in the in the short term. But hey, that's part of the CEO's job is to lay out the long term vision, give everybody something to shoot for. And, and that's what that's what they're in the business, right? They're in the business of peddling dreams. So he's now he's peddling dreams to the investment community and the business community, not just to to his actually viewers, his viewers and customers and people that draw, go to the theme park. So I guess entirely appropriate, I suppose, for the company. Fair enough. And I think that will be the last word for this week's podcast. You bet. Well, been great talking to you as always. Likewise, and thanks everyone for listening in, and we'll see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news, all rights reserved. <laughs>